Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Herd immunity seems to be the issue of the day. And savage capitalism, I I think this is all one thing in Republican world. And I think it's really important to understand that this is all consistent with the Republicans' worldview, or perhaps more clearly, the conservative worldview, that you're on your own, buddy. I mean, this is now and kind of always has been the core argument that Republicans have made for everything. Get rid of Social Security. Yeah, you're on your own, buddy. Deregulate the banks so they can rip off their customers. Yeah, you're on your own, buddy. This is their thing. It's not like this is a brand new thing, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me give you the story that provoked this. First of all, the chair of the uh, Craighead County Republican committee in Arkansas, a fellow by the name of Steve Farmer, died last night from coronavirus. He was apparently exposed by uh, Representative Louis Gohmert back in mid-September at a Reagan Day event where they didn't wear masks and they didn't social distance. He was admitted to the hospital on September 18th. After four days, he was put on the ventilator. On Monday, the doctors told his daughter that her father had minimal brain activity and he died. So, you know, that's going on, right? People are dying, you know, more or less a thousand people dying every day in America. And the Trump position on this is hardening. I mean, Donald Trump has made multiple statements now in the last 24 hours of basically get used to it, get over it. It's here. It's not going away. And we're not going to do a damn thing about it. So suck it up. There was a meeting between Scott Atlas, the quack doctor from Fox News, who's a radiologist, but pretends he knows something about infectious diseases, and Alex Azar. Alex Azar's last job was as head of Eli Lilly, where he doubled the price of insulin, and then he got hired by Trump to be the head of health and human services. So you've got the double the price of insulin guy. He's very much into the, hey, you're on your own, buddy. And you got Scott Atlas who is promoting herd immunity over on Fox News, and Trump brought him in to basically replace Fauci, Burks, uh, etc. Those two met with three doctors, Martin Kuldroff, Sanitra Gupta, and uh, Jay Bhattacharya, who are all actual professors, one at Harvard, one at Oxford, one at Stanford, and they are all advocates, explicit advocates, of herd immunity. This from The Hill, good reporting in The Hill today. The three doctors told Azar that allowing the virus to spread uncontrolled among young, healthy people while protecting older adults and those at higher risk for serious illness would build up enough. Now, they're referring to it as population immunity rather than herd immunity. It would build up enough population immunity to stop it from spreading widely while avoiding lockdowns that damage the economy. And this, of course, is music to Trump's ears. You mean people can go back to my hotels and my golf courses? They're hemorrhaging money. We need to get people back. You know, it's, I mean, you know, we got to figure out where he's at. And Atlas, the guy who's basically in charge of the whole federal coronavirus response nowadays, he says, quote, their targeted protection of the vulnerable and opening school, now, targeted protection of the vulnerable, basically what these folks are saying is anybody who might die from this, who has a high chance of dying from this, which would be, you know, people over 60, And people who are seriously obese, which is about a third of the American population, and or have heart disease, asthma, lung disease, COPD, 
you know, any of these other conditions. In aggregate, about half the U.S. population. That what we should do is basically put a protective bubble around all those people. Now, he limits it to like nursing homes and old people. He says, you know, you just stay at your house for the next couple of years. And, you know, let them deliver the food. And you live your life vicariously by watching TV. That's his advice for, you know, somewhere between a quarter and a half of America who are vulnerable to dying from this disease. And then everybody else is going to get infected. Then they will all have immunity. And that will stop the spread of the virus through the population so that those uh, older or less healthy people who are more vulnerable can come out of their hiding places and mingle again because everybody will have be on the backside of the infection. This is basically, basically the argument that Rand Paul made the other day when he was interrogating Anthony Fauci. As I said, we have heard this argument before. I remember this argument back in the 60s, the 1960s. Rachel Carlson wrote a book pointing out that DDT was causing the eggshells of eggs, of birds' eggs, to be so thin that they were not viable, that the babies couldn't grow in those eggshells. And as a consequence of that, the animals that were eating high levels of DDT, which were mostly those high up on the food chain, the predators, hawks and eagles, were at risk of becoming extinct. And the insect-eating bugs, like swallows, you know, bugs are sprayed with DDT. The insect-eating bugs, same thing. One day we wake up and there'll be no birds. There'll be no songs. The spring will be silent. And the response to that from the Republican Party and the chemical industry was, so what? You'll still be fine if you can't hear a bird song. And then Ralph Nader wrote about, he wrote a book in 67, I think it was, called Unsafe at Any Speed, in which he pointed out that for an extra, you know, 20 bucks a car, we could have seatbelts in all our cars, and we would have literally tens of thousands of people a year who are not dead or seriously injured as a result of car crashes, but the car industry didn't want to spend the money. And again, we had a debate. It lasted the better part of a decade about, hey, you know, do you really want to inconvenience the automobile industry, maybe hurt the economy, to save a few 10,000 lives. And the consensus on the Republican side was, no, you don't want to do that. Screw the seatbelts. And the Democrats prevailed in this. And the rest of America prevailed in this. We refer to this as savage capitalism. You're on your own. Right? This is what Trump is doing in every other regard. His first piece of legislation that he signed was back when the Republicans had both the House and the Senate, was to allow coal companies to dump more poison in their rivers, thus producing more brain damage and autism and neurological damage of all kinds to children downstream who are drinking that water or whose cities are drinking that river water. I mean, this is just, you know, lousy pay, no unions, rip-off banks, air pollution. It's all the same thing as the coronavirus. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's the Republican Party's official, hey, buddy, you're on your own strategy slash meme. Has been for 50 years. In my new book on monopolies, I sort of opened the book talking about the Powell memo. And Lewis Powell back in 1971 cited those two books and those two authors and said, you know, Ralph Nader with Unsafe at Any Speed and Rachel Carlson with Silent Spring have kicked off a consumer movement and an environmentalist movement, respectively. And these are both the beginnings of communism. And we've got to squash them because what is going to come next are going to be regulations and they are going to stop DDT in the agricultural marketplace, as it were. And as a result, our crops are going to get eaten by all these bugs. I mean, he, he wasn't going into all this detail. It was all implicit in his memo. And Ralph Nader is going to demand that the car companies start making cars safer. And that's going to make the car companies less profitable. And that's going to hurt innovation. And eventually, it'll all be the commissars in the Soviet state in Washington, D.C., telling every company in America exactly how to conduct their business. This is a debate we've been having in the United States for a long, long time. Whether it was mine safety debates back in the 1800s, 
that ultimately led to creating a department that regulated mine safety uh, first in a number of the states, West Virginia, Ohio, and then later in the federal government, or whether it was auto safety or whatever it may be. And then on top of that, over that all, like a giant umbrella, over our entire country is basically the operating system of our country, the philosophy of our country. We are one of two things. If we join all the other developed countries in the world, literally, and say that as a democratic republic, yes, we make you know, decisions by majority rule, that's the democratic part of democratic republic, but we protect the weakest among us. That's the republic part of democratic republic. We protect minority rights. We protect minority safety. And we've done that in a whole variety of ways over the years. We do that with social security. We protect people in their old age from the insecurity of poverty. We do that with Medicare to keep people healthy when they're over 65. We do that with Medicaid so that children and working people of all ages who have a very, very low income will have the protection of some kind of health care. Now, keep in mind, all of these are things that Republicans have always opposed. They have always said, these protections should not be here. That's not the proper role of government. See, I don't think it's so much that Donald Trump and the GOP are being advised by a crazy radiologist quack doctor from Fox. I don't think he's the cause of this problem. He's a symptom of it. They're being advised by right-wing billionaires who ascribe to libertarian ideology slash theology, who believe that America should not be a country that protects the weakest among us, that we shouldn't protect anybody. Alito and Thomas on the Supreme Court said, why don't we have another decision so that we can ban gay marriage? I mean, you know, why should we be protecting gay people? And John Roberts, a couple of years ago in Shelby County said, you know, we don't need this law that protects people of color, black people and Hispanic people and Native Americans from voter discrimination. You're on your own, buddy. This is the essential argument here. Nobody's putting it in this frame, but I'm telling you, this is the frame. This is the message that Donald Trump is delivering to us. And the reason people in the media are freaking out is because they don't realize that it's the same message that we heard from Richard Nixon, from Ronald Reagan, from Jerry Ford, from George Herbert Walker Bush, and from George W. Bush. And that message is, we don't think this country should protect anybody that's not the job of government. We protect our borders because our rich people are inside those borders. But beyond that, and we protect rich people in their communities with lots of cops who will shoot anybody who looks suspicious. But beyond that, it's not the proper function of government. Trump is taking a libertarian approach to this. You're on your own, buddy. And the rest of the country would really rather take an all-American approach the way that America has been since the 1930s when we became a, a, a nation. Well, actually, I'm, you know, you can find examples of this going all the way back, all the way back to the founding of the Republic. They're inconsistent and they scatter around, but particularly since the 1930s, that one of the essential roles of government is to protect the weakest among us. And You're Trump is saying to hell with to the, the weak Tom people. Hartman program. Trump is saying, ah, oh, black people, brown people, you know, they die of heart disease and cancer more frequently. Let them die of COVID more frequently. Old people, they're old. Just got a uh, press release in the mail. Mike Pence's fly requests all your thoughts and prayers while he gets tested today. I just got that in email. <laughs> Another thing that I think is interesting, Laura Flanders was writing about this over on Common Dreams, that back when AIDS was around and there was all this hysteria, oh my God, the gay people, and oh my God, you know, AIDS and et cetera, 
32 states basically criminalized living with HIV. If you put another person in a position where they may get it from you, even unintentionally, even with no threat, even with no disease being transmitted. 13 states provide stiff penalties for people who communicate other contagious diseases, including hepatitis and stuff like that. In New Jersey, where Donald Trump exposed apparently 100 people at his fundraiser to the coronavirus, after he knew that he was at risk because Hope Hicks had already tested positive for sure, and we believe he had tested positive, we just don't know because he won't tell us. But in New Jersey, the law, the, the, you know, one of these laws that was passed, exposing a person to HIV in New Jersey is punishable by up to five years in prison and a $15,000 fine. In Florida, which is what Trump is claiming as his residence now, since there's no income tax down there, there are half a dozen different laws on the books in Florida that criminalize transmitting HIV. 266 people in Florida have been convicted of that crime, of transmitting a, a transmissible disease to another person, specifically HIV. Is it time to put Donald Trump in jail? Is that why he is refusing to release his test results so that we won't know when he committed these acts that are actually criminal in New Jersey, which is the most recent mass infection event that he was involved with. We just don't know. Looking at the top four stories, for example, on rawstory.com, which is you know one of the better progressive, regularly updated, top of the news, kind of drudge for progressives. These stories are all the same thing, and this is not a criticism of the news site. My point is, the first headline is, Trump's super spreader event is so substantial it's skewing Washington, D.C.'s COVID-19 data. In other words, the, you know, the White House has become such a super spreader place and event, and that Rose Garden ceremony for Amy Coney Barrett, it was such an event that it literally is twisting the statistics for the District of Columbia. Number two, more than a dozen restaurant workers under quarantine after catering Minnesota Trump fundraiser. Seems like a different story, right? It's in Minnesota, different part of the country, different people. These weren't White House employees. These were the caterers. Third story, Kaylee McEnany defends super spreader event despite catching COVID. She apparently got COVID at that event, that super spreader event on Saturday. And then the fourth story, New York Times White House reporter and wife infected with COVID-19, quote, the collateral damage is going to be significant. Now, those seem like different stories, even though, you know, obviously the coronavirus is a thread that runs through all of them. But here's where I see them as the same story. And that is this debate that's been going on between Republicans and Democrats, literally in a big way in the United States, right out front, right out in the open, right in front of everybody, God and everybody, in the front pages of the newspapers and in Congress, this debate has been going on since 1933. And in 1933, what Franklin Roosevelt said to the American people, in addition to the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. We will get through this. And he was talking about the Great Depression. People think that he was talking about World War II. World War II was Hitler hadn't even been made chancellor yet. That was way down the road. He was talking about the Depression, the Republican Great Depression of 1929. And 1933 was its worst year. It was the bottom year. And he had just been elected president. And he came out and he said, you know, our Republican friends talk a lot about freedom. I'm paraphrasing all this. Read his inaugural address. Read his 1936 Madison Square Garden speech. Just those two things. And you will get everything I'm saying here if you want to quote it or, you know, whatever. So basically, he said, we have had three administrations now, Harding, Coolidge and Hoover, where nothing was done for the American people, everything was done for the very rich. But nothing was done for the average worker. And as a result, a third of America is unemployed. And he went on to say, he said, the reason that these Republicans tell us that nothing should be done for the American worker or poor people in America, the reason Republicans tell us that nothing should be done is because that would impinge on people's freedom. It would impinge on the freedom of the poor and working people 
for you to try to regulate their workplace or get another agency like a union in there to regulate their workplace. That would interfere with their constitutional right to contract with their employers. And you are diminishing the freedom of wealthier people who pay taxes when you take some of the money away from them in the form of taxes and give it to the poorer people or use it in ways to support principally poor people like building public hospitals, building public schools, things that literally were not happening in the 1920s. There were private hospitals, there were expensive hospitals, there were private schools, there were some public schools around the country, but really, FDR said no. And this was in his inaugural address in March of 1933. He said, an old English judge once said, a necessitous man is not a free man. In fact, he quoted himself saying that for years throughout his presidency. What does necessitous mean? It means, you know, hungry, broke, homeless, in need of something, necessity. A necessitous man is not a free man. You are not free if you're hungry. You're not free if you're unemployed. You're not free if you're homeless. And so we who believe in freedom, we Democrats who believe in freedom, have an obligation to provide a platform, a floor, a base, a floor underneath average people that they will not fall through so they can conduct their lives in a normal and free fashion. And we're going to do that for people over 65 by giving them Social Security. And we're going to do that for working people by giving them the legal right through the passage of the Wagner Act, the National Labor Relations Act, to give them the legal right to have representation in the workplace by a union. And we're going to start giving employees some even non-union rights to challenge employers and we're going to provide people with long-term unemployment. This started as part of the New Deal. And then we expanded that with Lyndon Johnson, with Medicare and Medicaid and the Children's Health Insurance Program and Social Security Disability Income. These were all ways of saying, we are leaving that behind. We're leaving behind the Warren Harding, Calvin Coolidge, President Hoover, we're just going to leave that stuff behind. That idea that, hey, buddy, you're on your own. That America is here for the billionaires and nobody else. We're going to leave that behind and we're going to say America is now a family. We are all in this together. And there's a bunch of us who've been left behind. You know, originally in, in FDR's world, that was average working people, which was mostly, you know, white people and white men, actually. And then we expanded it to women, and we expanded it to people of color, and not necessarily in that order. Basically, the moral and political consensus of this country since 1933 has been one of the principal functions of government is to provide people with that basic floor of safety and security necessary to be free. So, to put this in the context of the coronavirus, Democrats and those of us who believe in Franklin Roosevelt's philosophy are saying, this is something that can kill you. It can even kill your children. It's rare, but it can happen. We don't know how severely it's going to disable people, but it does disable people, maybe for the rest of their lives. We've seen young people like Nick Cordero, a 41-year-old Broadway actor and athlete, first lose his leg to coronavirus and then lose his life. You know, we're just, not, we're just not going to take chances. More people have died from coronavirus than ever died from not having seatbelts. So we're going we're gonna to come up with seatbelts. Masks, social distancing, nothing draconian. And then testing and tracing. And then the Republicans, the conservatives, and, I, you know, I'm on their mailing list. I can tell you this is what they're saying. This is what they're thinking. They're saying that's not the role of government. The role of government should be to protect our borders from foreign invaders, run the police and the fire departments, and maybe not even the fire departments. There's libertarians who want to privatize fire departments. Keep the public order and make sure that our currency doesn't falter so the business can continue to do business. And just leave everything else up to the billionaires and the business class. And they'll fix the coronavirus problem. You know, there's a huge marketplace right now 
for therapeutics. They'll come up with therapeutics. There's a huge marketplace for cheaper testing. They'll come up with cheaper testing. This is not the government's job. This is the job of private industry. This is, again, the old libertarian thing. Libertarians say that if a product is being sold that causes people to die, after a few people die and their families sue the company that's selling the product, the company will go out of business and won't be able to sell it anymore. That's their solution, the courts. Whereas America decided back, you know, in the, in the early 20th century, particularly after the slaughterhouse horrors revealed by Upton Sinclair, that we were going to regulate our food supply and make it safe. So that's the debate that's being played out right now. And Trump is firmly now in the camp of this is not my problem. This is not government's problem. The coronavirus, you know, will work around the edges to maybe protect people in nursing homes. But by and large, this is not our problem. You're on your own, buddy. What do you think? You think I've gone off the rails here? I see this as just such a logical plug-in to the, to the old conservative liberal divide. Five thousand lawyers just signed a letter, an open letter to senators asking them not to confirm Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court because they said, well, they urged them by not by not confirming her, they would be defending the lives and fundamental rights of all Americans. That's astonishing. Five thousand lawyers just said, please don't do this. And, you know, when we're talking about our court system, I'd say that, yeah, lawyers know what they're talking about. What an amazing, amazing time we live in. I, I just, I keep saying that, I, but I, I really mean it. It's an amazing time to be alive. California. Hey, Renee, what's up? I'm a retired public health nurse. And while in principle, I agree with you about not wanting to wish deliberate harm on people, but as to say what 45, the occupant in the White House said, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And I think what I have, I was, a, I'm a registered nurse of 40 years experience, 30 years within the public health realm. And what COVID definitely has shown is a huge chasm in all spectrums, but particularly within the public health sector. And here we have a man, I can't prove this, but we have you know, it's going to be a public health nightmare in terms of the contact tracing if they do it properly and correctly uh, with all the people who are popping up positive now. This Senator Lee, Hope Hicks, uh, uh, Trump and his wife, et cetera, et cetera, and his continued degradation of the CDC to destabilize it, to engender distrust amongst that. That is the gold standard, the CDC, in terms of investigation of, say, tuberculosis, hepatitis, E. coli, communicable disease, or foodborne illnesses, you name it. And he's deliberately degraded it at a time when we most need it. And my thoughts and my prayers are with my fellow colleagues who have lost their lives, from the beginning, nurses and doctors, but nurses in particular, where he refused to give PPE. And I have friends who told me verbally back when this started that their hospitals, they were telling them to reuse their masks and their protective equipment. Yep. And I was a nurse when, when HIV and AIDS first hit uh, uh, within the United States back in the 70s. I was a new graduate nurse. And, and, and we never had a, a, a policy of not giving us, the, at that time, the, prote- the protective equipment needed for HIV. But he has run interference every step of the way and lied, and lied every step of the way. And so I don't, my compassion is with those people who are, who are recovering from COVID right now, who the, the 200,000 plus in America and those worldwide. But I, I, I can't, I'm having a hard time, and I pray about this, but I'm having a hard time to feel compassion for a man who just the other day was mocking Biden about wearing masks, mocking the American yeah. people. Well, I don't think we're obligated it's, it's, to feel compassion, but if, if you are sending prayers, let's not forget the people who work at the White House who are exactly. at the bottom of the food chain, yes. the people who are, yes, who are yes. literally making the food in the White House kitchen, Correct. the people, you know, Correct. the butlers and the people who are, 
You know, I mean, there's 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 a bunch of people there who have no oh. say under their working conditions, and Trump has imposed a mask-free right. uh, work environment for them, which is just criminal. Without a doubt, and that's part of his sociopathy. I may not be a psychiatrist, but I've worked with a lot of high-risk people with with challenges such as him, and that is so that is such high. Uh, unempathetic, unempathetic sociopathic behavior. So I agree with you. I am thinking about them, but he needs Nuremberg accountability and Nuremberg justice. Yeah, I, I think that he needs to be held accountable, too, at the end of the day, yes. particularly if if he recovers from this and then goes out and does what Bolsonaro did, which is basically says, see, it's just the flu. No big deal. Um, if that happens, that that's the worst outcome for America, frankly, uh, because it would it would further set back any effort to control this disease. That would be a real tragedy. Chris Christie is now on his sixth day in the hospital. Not a single word from him. We the last time he tweeted was uh, Saturday almost a full week ago. The average time that people are hospitalized for COVID is five days. If they go over five days, um, that's considered generally a bad sign. Uh, so who knows? But Chris Christie apparently infected by or at least around the time uh, that Donald Trump was. He was uh, Trump's, he was involved in the Trump uh, debate prep and all this kind of stuff. Not a good thing. Donald Trump hasn't made any public appearances, unless something has happened in the last hour that I failed to catch in several days. And in fact, yesterday he tweeted out this video and it looked like he was on the lawn of the White House. I'm looking at this video, looking at the grass in the lawn and the grass is all out of focus. Even the grass close in is out of focus. And it's like that wouldn't happen if it was an actual camera shot of him standing on the lawn of the White House. You would have a difference in focus between the close in and far away. And, and I'm thinking, now I'm not sure of this. I'm no expert on this. I just, you know, qualify this. We've, you know, I've done television with a green screen. We, you've, we've used a green screen for first year that we had a TriCaster. In fact, you know, one of these video devices when we were doing our show, when that video part of our show was on the internet back 10 years ago anyway. I have some familiarity with it. I'm wondering if that was even recorded day before yesterday when it was pushed out or if this is from Monday. And then and then, of course, he called into all those shows yesterday. No video at all and just totally roided up. At least that's what it sounded like. Meanwhile, Mike Pence has canceled his travel, you know, which is really weird, because if there is a moment when somebody needs to be on the campaign trail trying to whip up Trump voters, it's right now. Pence had this campaign event scheduled for well over a week, and all of a sudden, nope, which could mean, number one, that Pence is positive, after all, his eyes were bright red during the debate, or number two, that he's concerned, or people in the White House are concerned, or Republican leadership is concerned, that Trump is either at risk of his COVID crashing him and incapacitating him in a way that would require Pence to step in, or B that maybe there's even a conversation in the cabinet. I mean, in Nancy Pelosi today is in the House. They're introducing legislation. Jamie Raskin uh, put it together to create a congressional commission. And the 25th Amendment, it has to be initiated by the vice president. Then half of the cabinet has to say yes, kick the guy out. And then I believe it requires two thirds of the House and Senate. I could be wrong on that. I have to go back and look. It's been a while since we've done stories on the 25th Amendment. But bottom line is that it's a fairly complex process. And Pelosi's, in my opinion, trying to simplify it. And frankly, I suspect that this is not because of the COVID crisis right now, that this would be a way of a strategy to point out to the country fairly irrefutably if Trump loses the election and completely loses it, goes completely psychotic or continues to be on steroids, or when he's crashing on steroids, you know, typically uh, Sanjay Gupta on CNN this morning said that the, the typical course for these steroids is five days. So today is, I think, what, the last day for Trump on these? Or maybe it was yesterday. And when they wear off, there could be hell to pay. We don't know. Over on Fox News, Chris Wallace was pointing out that the reason why the election commission had to go with a virtual debate was because their camera people and their sound people refused to work in the same room with Donald Trump. And they couldn't find, quote, uncommitted voters who were willing to be in the same room with Donald Trump. 
or at least they couldn't find enough, because this is a town hall thing. You're, you're asking questions of uncommitted voters, which is like, really? Um, but, you know, that's what it is. So anyhow, we'll see where that goes. Meanwhile, Mitch McConnell is saying, you know, we've got a choice here in the Senate. We can look at the stimulus bill that Steve Mnuchin and Nancy Pelosi are negotiating right now, or any of the other ones that there have been two passed by the House of Representatives that Mitch McConnell's refusing to take up. The HEROES Act, the three million one, and the and there's another one that's around two million. He's just saying, no, we're not gonna do that. Because we've got to focus our efforts on getting this crazy right-wing judge on the bench. This member of this Catholic cult who has signed newspaper advertisements saying Roe v. Wade is a, you know, basically an abomination. And it looks like they're doing absolutely everything they can to hide Amy Coney Barrett's records. Meanwhile, in Michigan, the governor is safe now, but now we've got a sheriff, a Republican sheriff, quoting a piece of legislation. It's Michigan Law 764.16 that says under certain circumstances, it is legal for private citizens to arrest somebody if that person is committing a felony. And the sheriff is saying, well, you know, the governor was arresting all of us by forcing us to wear masks. That's a felony. So these guys were just trying to arrest her. So the domestic terrorism group in Michigan that is now in custody apparently has some allies among the Michigan sheriffs. I mean, it's mind boggling. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Amazing what's going on. Robert in Orlando, Florida. Hey, Robert, what's on your mind? Do you think that any country, particularly a first world country, that resigns itself to two to six million of any population segment, basically to death, do you think that any society like that is sustainable? No. And I think that what that will do is produce a massive crisis. I'm increasingly becoming convinced that Donald Trump isn't just trying to hang on to power, but he is also trying to destroy the United States. I've been very reluctant to say that in the past. It, it just sounds so over the top. It sounds so tinfoil hat, but I can't come to any other conclusion. I mean, this is very, very straightforward. And by the way, that six million dead, Gary A.D. over at the Daily Kos has a diary up today titled, Rachel Maddow's math is wrong. It's much, much worse. And he makes the point, that in the United States, 
that Rachel was basing her 2.97% fatality rate on the number of active case or diagnosed cases that we have, but lots of those cases are recently diagnosed. And so those people haven't reached the point where they get so sick that they die yet. And right. if we pull them out of the equation and, and just look at the number of closed cases and divide that by the number of dead people, we end up with a 4.6% fatality rate from this disease which means let's if it was 300 million people it'll be slightly less than 300 million people to get herd immunity if that old vaccine theory holds true and we have no evidence that that's the case right now but if it does so you know uh, if if we're looking at almost 5% of 3 million people that's what 15 million dead so you know certainly more than 10 million dead um, that's the new strategy that Donald Trump is doing. This is why the CDC is no longer recommending the states recommend the use of masks. It's why Donald Trump is sla- you know, slapping down Robert Redfield when he says, you know, a mask is more effective than a vaccine. It's, it, 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 it's why you've got right-wing media now telling people that they are telling uh, they're predominantly male audience. And I, I know this from you know, working in the radio industry. The majority of people who listen to right-wing talk radio are men. I mean, it's a huge, huge percentage and uh, over women for right wing talk radio. And and, uh, you know, so you've got on right wing talk radio, Rush Limbaugh and all these other guys, you know, all right, wear a mask, you're a sissy. That's how girls do that. You know, these people are afraid. And by the way, go to the polls without a mask and cough a lot and make a lot of noise and you'll scare away the libs. And this is this is nuts. Oh, stuff that is is. I believe increasingly is being done to destroy this country. These guys hate the idea of democracy. They hate the idea of a country whose first priority is its own people and its working people. They want an oligarchy. They want a nation. This is a, you know, we've got a billionaire in the White House. He's got billionaires in his cabinet. This is, and every single other member of his cabinet who's not a billionaire is a multi, multi, multi millionaire. And you've got, you know, uh, Mitch McConnell, who's, a, who's worth, what, 400 million bucks. His wife, Elaine Chow, uh, you know, worth that or more in, in the cabinet. You know, there's a transportation secretary. You've got, um, you know, the Secretary of Commerce, Wilbur Ross, he's a billionaire. You've got Betsy DeVos, a billionaire. They want an America that is safe and good for billionaires and to hell with everybody else. And, and if, you know, 10 million Americans have to die to get there, okay, no problem. And that, that's, that's just... I mean, what are, distra- but, you know, Donald Trump aside as a, as a country, you know, from a moral and psychological standpoint, I just don't see that that a populist can survive with that sort of trauma. That's absolutely my concern, Robert. I mean, this is, if you look, if you read the history of the rise of Hitler in Germany, or Mussolini in Italy, for that matter, they both rose out of the ashes of, of number one, World War I, but number two, and more importantly, a worldwide depression. Trump is going to throw us into something far worse than that. And I think he figures if he gets reelected, that's great. He can use the chaos to consolidate his power and steal everything. He just, you know, just build the Secret Service a million bucks for his hotel rooms yesterday, or it was reported yesterday. He gets richer and he gets more powerful and he doesn't have to go to jail. And on the other hand, if he doesn't win the election, if somehow, you know, uh, it doesn't get thrown to the House or whatever, if all of his little, you know, skeezy buddies in the various Republican controlled states can't pull that off, and Joe Biden becomes president, he's going to inherit a wasteland, an absolute wasteland with millions of people dead and dying and, and you know, businesses collapsing and an economy in shambles. And, and, you know, and Trump is going to walk off uh, dusting his hands off and go off and build his Trump Tower in Moscow and say, see you guys later, suckers, or go to Slovenia where his wife and his son are both citizens. I mean, you know, is that really what's going on? It's insane. Robert, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Paul in Ellsbury, Missouri. Hey, Paul, what's up? Uh, yeah, I saw on uh, the national news where uh, Dr. Atlas, uh, no, they had a story about Dr. Atlas, and at yeah. the Sanford uh, Medical College put out a disclaimer saying that he did graduate from their college, but the college does not believe in his belief of herd immunity, or the majority of the doctors there do not agree either. And so also in St. Luke County here in Missouri, there's a group of parents that are protesting to the county administrator and uh, parents want their kids to go back playing sports so they can go to college with a scholarship. And right. that they're promoting that the Dr. Atlas is what they're basing the, you know, being able to come back to you know, playing. And that the parents believe that, you know, because when they were growing up, you know, they didn't get the 
shots for chicken pox or measles, and the reason was if they caught it, they would be immune the rest of their lives, right. they thought. Right. So, you know, right. that they're based But this is not on. chicken pox or measles. I mean, those are, right, those are very, very yeah. stable viruses that don't mutate. And this is a virus that we, human beings have literally never seen before. Chicken pox and measles have been circulating. We have had long exposure to them and we've figured it out. This is a brand new virus. And we have no yeah. friggin' idea what it's, you know, how, what it's going to look like a year from now or two years from now, how it's going to mutate, or whether our immunity will transfer from one strain to another. Apparently, it doesn't, if this guy who has had to be re-hospitalized in Las Vegas is any indication. Paul, i got to move along, but thank you for the call. Mayor in uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania. Hey, Mayor, what's up? Hi, Tom. Back in 1966, I was in sixth grade, and that's when Mao Zedong was doing his cultural revolution, and I just didn't understand why is he doing this chaos, and these thugs are running around in China. Oh, my God. Trump is out of the same playbook. He's pulling a Mao Zedong. Uh, and it's wow. all on. I remember the Cultural Revolution and I remember the yeah. famine that it produced, but Mao did consolidate power and created the foundation for what you'd call the modern China. And I know that, you know, I mean, it was a revolution. We, we had a revolution here in the 1700s. You read Jimmy Carter's novel about it or, you know, any good history, and it was a time of chaos, too. Not sure I see the exact parallels, though, Mayor. Well, the, the, the militias. Right-wing thugs on the street uh, countering oh, the right. black lives. That's that's yeah, you're that's, absolutely right. That's that's how Mao did it. That's right. He, he, he yes. That's oh what God. I'm saying. He's pulling them. Yeah. Up. This is right out of Roger Stone's playbook because uh, he seems to think along those lines. Uh, to paraphrase Paul Newman in the car wash scene in Cool Hand Luke, he knows exactly what he's doing. Like, even saying her mentality, that was on mentality, purpose yeah. to, to get everybody talking about, oh, he made a mistake, instead of saying, oh, my God, he wants us all to get sick. He got us to look at something else. He distracted yeah. us for, from the actual Well, I don't think it was that slick. He started to actually say herd immunity, and, and, and then he realized that that has been so discredited. Even Anders Tegnell, the, the, the guy who suggested it in Sweden, is refusing to use that phrase any longer. They're talking about population, broad population immunity now instead. But yeah, I get it. I get it. Mayor, thanks for the call. You know, I, I love these little historical punctuation marks, and thank you very much for that. Jim in Cathedral City, California. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind today? I'm a longtime listener from when you used to have burning on for lunch. <laughs> oh, yeah. Every Friday morning or every Friday at noon. Yeah. Yes. Or noon. There you go. And here's the scenario. I watched the president go up the steps, down there, ran out of breath. By the time he got up on the top, he was gasping, took off his mask. That was probably a big mistake. Anyway, you could see he was not in danger, but you could tell the guys he's laboring. They've been a week. They're going to take him away, put him in the hospital. He's beyond like he can't deal. So then they have to pass the keys to Pence. Pence, they said this morning, is going to go into quarantine. So once Pence is in, in once he's in the hospital, Pence is in quarantine. Who do the keys go to next? Well, there's a difference between being in the hospital and being in quarantine, Jim. You know, Pence oh, could be in okay. quarantine right. so he can still in be his own office and in his own residence. Pence lives in this really fancy place called the Naval Observatory. It's it's uh, like halfway between downtown Washington, D.C. and Bethesda. I mean, it's really out there in the in the very, very wealthy uh, kind of northeastern suburbs mm-hmm. of Washington, D.C., if, if I'm remembering mm-hmm. my jog- geography correctly. You know, it's got this giant gate out front. I mean, you can't, you can hardly even see the buildings and things. It's just massive. And uh-huh. in there is everything that he needs. I mean, he's got offices, he's got staff, wow. he's got whatever he needs. Uh-huh. So he doesn't have to leave the Naval Observatory. He can run the country from there. Um, so as long as Mike Pence isn't sick and incapacitated by sickness, being in quarantine is not going to prevent him from doing his job. If he's inca- incapacitated. If he becomes incapacitated, it would have to be at the same time Trump is incapacitated. Then the job goes to Nancy Pelosi. You're right. Zach in North Hollywood. Hey, Zach, what's up? I asked myself this question recently, and I wanted to ask it of you. Do you think it's possible that we're seeing the sunset and the final diminishing of the selfish, destructive genome 
in humankind and the dawn of the inclusive creative genome where we realize that team over tribe is a better way to go. Everyone pulling for each other instead of fighting with one another, sharing the wealth of the planet instead of hoarding it, finding ways to make the planet work for all countries and all people, or is it a pipe dream? You know, we were working on that pre-Reagan, bring the world together, everything from Bretton Woods to, you know, NATO, international alliances, let's bring the world together, let's have peace. You know, we had a relative peace for quite some time after World War II. All the, I guess Jimmy Carter is the only president to have no war initiated by the United States or no conflict initiated during his presidency. But during the 80s, when America changed, and not enough people even realize this, you know, anybody who's an economics wonk or a political wonk understands that when Ronald Reagan became president, he fundamentally changed the economic structure of the United States, the way that our economy works. And he did that through massive tax cuts, through deregulating business, and through making it legal for senior executives and corporations to be compensated with stock. There were just a whole bunch of, of small around the edges things that, that were like little trim tabs that turned the entire economy so that ever since 1980, the rich have getting, been getting massively richer and working people have seen a $50 trillion transfer of wealth from them and their homes and their assets into the pockets of the top 1%. And during that time, during that era in the 1980s, there were all these books coming out about how selfishness is a wonderful thing. The whole greed is good thing, the whole Michael Milken thing. Richard Dawkins published his book, The Selfish Gene. I believe it was in the 80s. I might be wrong. It might have been the late 70s. But right around that time, there was this wholesale notion that the libertarian ideology, the Thomas Hobbes ideology of, you know, uh, without the iron fist of church and state, life is short, nasty, and brutish, just took over. And America bought this thing, and England bought it too. I mean, Maggie Thatcher was preaching this in 1978. There is no such thing as society. There's only a collection of individuals. We are now seeing the result of that. The political landscape and the economic landscape of America right now is the result of believing a story that is not true. Bregman, I'm, I'm forgetting his first name, and I don't see the book right around here so I can grab it, but Dutch guy, but whose last name is Bregman, published a book called Humankind. And it's kind of a takeoff on Peter Farb's uh, book, Humankind from the 1970s. He devotes an entire chapter to destroying this myth of the selfish gene. Humans are actually not wired to be selfish. That's not our core nature. That's the deviation from our core nature. That's the exception rather than the rule. We are wired to be cooperators. We are wired to be collaborators. We are wired to be community oriented. We are wired to take care of each other. We are wired to have compassion. That's what's in our genes. And this idea that Dawkins came up with of the selfish gene and all this stuff has just been so completely and thoroughly debunked on multiple levels in the intervening 40 years. And like I said, Bregman in his book, Humankind, just, just dissects this, just takes it apart. So Zach, in answer to your question, the predicate to your question was the assumption that Dawkins was correct, and I would say he was wrong. So I could answer it one of two ways. I could either say, no, we never were that selfish. We always were that egalitarian. It's just that we end up with these bizarre, dysfunctional societies because sociopaths within our societies achieve power and twist society to their ends. Yes, we're going through that evolution, only it's not an actual DNA kind of evolution. It's, a, it's an awakening just like we had in 1929 and 1930, where we look back on the 12 years that the Republicans had been running the United States during the 1920s that led to the Great Crash and that led to mass poverty before the Great Depression. You know, the Roaring Twenties was a time when the rich were getting, it was roaring because the stock market was roaring, but everybody else was actually getting poorer during the 1920s. And we woke up from that dream. And that was the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s. And then, and then Reagan took us back into it and I think we're waking up again, Zach. I'm, I'm actually optimistic. I feel better. <laughs> good. Okay. Thanks, Tom. Zach, thanks a lot for the call. Yeah, good talking to you. I, I'm serious. This, this book, Humankind, I, you know, I was talking about it maybe a month ago when I was reading it. I couldn't put it down. It took me three days to read the entire book cover to cover because every moment that I wasn't doing something else, I was reading this book. And it was so exciting and so inspiring. 
And uh, Sean has, uh, he's in Holland, you know, I don't know if we'll be able to get him on as a guest. Sean has reached out to him. Rutger Bregman is his name, and the book is Humankind. Thank you, Sean. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. I took a call from uh, Lydia in Tennessee, who is an older woman who is saying that she and her husband both have COVID. He's very, very sick. He does not have health insurance. They're in small town in Tennessee. She said that the theaters are open. Nobody's wearing masks. Everybody's getting this disease. Somebody in their local Walmart just died from it. And she was just basically asking us all, please wear masks, be careful, take this seriously. We have seven million Americans currently infected with this disease. It's mind-boggling. And Donald Trump was on Rush Limbaugh's show a little while ago, and a woman called in and said, so what are you going to do for pre-existing conditions? And he went off on a rant about Democrats and how the Democrats are trying to take him down and this and that and the other. And then finally, uh, Limbaugh came back and said, well, you know, you want to tell them what you're going to do about pre-existing conditions? And he said, oh, yeah, we got a plan. It's going to be better than Obamacare. It's going to be better than anything. Don't worry. It's going to cover pre-existing conditions. Never said anything specific. No, yes, we have this piece of legislation or yes, we have. The, I mean, it's just it's incredible. We're in the middle of a pandemic and the Republican Party and our president and vice president, the attorneys general for 20, I believe it is, maybe it's 19 or 21, but in the neighborhood of 20 Republican-controlled states are going to be arguing in five or six weeks before the Supreme Court that the entirety of Obamacare should be struck down. 20 to 30 million people should be thrown off the rolls. Prices should explode for health insurance. And the protections that we have right now against pre-existing conditions should be blown up. And even in a friendly venue like the Rush Limbaugh show, he can't deal with that. I mean, it's just, this is, this is mind-boggling. Vicki in Glendale, California. Hey, Vicki, what's up? Well, I think that voters need to really think about how it affects them that Trump and his buddies don't pay taxes. I sit around and look at my communities, and I see the interstate highways, the bridges crumbling. I see railroads that feed farmers that barely function. I see schools that are crumbling. And when we don't have those tax dollars that the rich are cheating us out of, that's when it affects us locally. And I think everybody ought to sit around their kitchen tables and think about what we could have, what America would look like if those people paid their taxes over 20 years. And I also want to talk a little bit about the tax bill. The tax bill that Trump just passed deduction that school teachers got was severely reduced for expenses my daughters pay, got about two hundred dollars worth of tax expense for their you know their income tax and they have put far more than that into their classrooms especially now in the distance learning things they've had to buy new right. computers they can't tax that they can't take that as a deduction, but Trump can have $70,000 worth of hairstyling and his daughter? Right. Give me a break. How is that affecting our communities? I think we really need to think about this as kitchen table issue. So that's what I wanted I to say. I think it's important for people to think, how, how did that affect our lives? Not just... Yeah, no, I, I agree, you Vicki. I think, I, you know, spot on. You, you, you said it brilliantly. Thank you. Michael in Las Vegas. Hey, Michael, what's up? Thank you for all you do. I really appreciate your show. Thank you. The timeline for SCOTUS hearing the Obamacare arguments, when will they issue their decision and what potentially is the timeline for it to be struck down? My mother-in-law has pre-existing conditions. She is on Nevada State Medicaid. I'm concerned for her health. She's on a number of medications, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. She is high risk for COVID. Right. If so the if court blows up 
Sure. If the court somehow basically, uh, you know, melts down, it doesn't even necessarily hear all of the oral arguments which are happening in either late November or early December. They're happening in the weeks immediately oh, okay. after the election. If the court doesn't hear those or if they, you know, I, they've already granted cert, so presumably they will, but you'd never know. Then the, I believe it's the fifth or the fourth circuit court ruling, I think it's the fifth, that Obamacare is totally unconstitutional, will stand, and that will be the end of Obamacare. If they do hear the hearings, hear the Obamacare arguments through their completion, that will probably take us into, you know, early December. And typically the court takes a few months to make a decision, to write the decisions, and to come out with them. So we would probably see it in March, I would guess. Maybe February, unlikely January, probably March, maybe even April. And if we have a Democratic president and a Democratic and and the Democratic Party has control of both the House and the Senate and the filibuster has been blown up in the Senate, as I really believe the Democrats are going to do, then in that case, having the Supreme Court kill Obamacare might set the stage for something much better than Obamacare. You know, a a radical expansion of a public option. Yeah. Or even Medicare for all. The question then becomes, will the court blow that up? And, you know, and how do they get around that? Michael, thank you for the call. Special thanks this week to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick White, Geraldine Halbert, Dave Fulton, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Spross, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, and Jabbermocky, the folks who help bring this show to you in many different forms and do all kinds of different things with our program. Thank you to them. And thank you to you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing our show with your friends and telling them about it. Be good to yourself and people around you. Tag your end. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 